The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let's take the fly with you. Father, you've gathered us here today in this place to both give and to get, to give to you praise and honor that is due your name, and to get from you, you, to get from you a a renewed, a refreshed a sense, a nearness to get from you communion with you and to be refreshed by that, built up by it, encouraged and established. You have made us your people and then you graciously determined to meet with us regularly, particularly here corporately on this day, to renew us and refresh. And so please do that this morning. Spirit of God, would you rest on this place and deliver God to his people in a new and refreshing way and stir our hearts to joy and praise. We look to you for that. We, we need that. We live off of that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so will you please deliver yourself to us? And then, Lord, make that be for, uh, with some feet on it, with, with, some, with some length to it, so that we walk out refreshed and renewed into tomorrow and the next week and near you and renewed in you. So build up your people this morning in this passage. Make it clear. Help us to understand it and to revel in it. Build your church. Be honored in us, your people, we pray. We trust this time to you and say thank you. Thank you for making it. Thank you for meeting us in it. Build your people for our good and for your honor. Thank you, Lord. Amen. At some point in the Christian life, the novelty of our new relationship with Jesus wears off which is normal and fine. Nothing can stay novel, new, forever. Everything becomes eventually normal. And so too with relationship with Christ. We become Christians, and there's some, some electricity to it, some, some uniqueness, some delight and some joy, and then we, we are Christians. And we settle into a spot where it's normal. And we we come to this place where we believe, certainly believe, the Christian message. We own it fully. We know who Jesus is, and we understand him, and understand what he is about, and what he's done, and we are thankful for it. And we do truly know and understand what he's done. We are well aware of our sin. We are well aware of his cross. We are thankful that he's provided forgiveness for us that it is not by works we are saved, but by his grace that he mercifully makes us new and opens for us heaven. That's a good thing. We know it, accept it, believe it, and want to believe it. And at no point do we consider, you know, maybe I'll set that aside for this next segment of my life. I've been a Christian for a while. Maybe I'll try something else. No, we, we know this is true. We know this is the only way. This, this is what we want. We believe this, and we are not at all persuaded by other things. You, you own that. If you're a Christian, you, you own it. 
However, something else often creeps in here too. And you can read this all through the New Testament. You can read it probably in every day of your life. There's something else also kind of right alongside of that pulling on us. Tugging. Maybe, maybe you see it show up in, in, in stressful situations for you. You face financial situations or you're looking at something related to you know, some dating decision that you make. or Maybe it's not under stress or anything. It's just at ease what you find yourself daydreaming about. Something contrary to what it is you fully profess, fully believe, fully understand, fully know. Something contrary. Maybe I could put it in the words of 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride in possessions. John there is writing to the church, talking about love of the world, worldliness. Writing to the church. People who while at the same, right in the moment of, of clinging to, of fully believing, of, of absolutely embracing, of not even considering throwing away, but believing and wanting to believe, are also drawn to, in John's words there, the desires of the flesh and the eyes and pride of possessions, worldliness. There's a, there's a, a tension there, a, a pull there. Jesus and the world. Now, this is not, we are not this morning talking about worldliness. We're talking about Jesus in Colossians chapter 2. But that, that tension, that, that pull, really eliminating that pull, closing that gap, that's the issue before us this morning. We believe, we, we want to believe, but we are, are often drawn on towards something else. And we are called in this passage this morning to, to close that gap and to walk in a way that is consistent with what we believe. You might say so that we not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. That there is, there is a wholeness and an integrity in, in what I am. What I am, if you, if you poke me, what I say is I'm a Christian. And then if you look at my walk, you say, there's a Christian. That that gap is closed and there is, there is an integrity there. That's before us in these two short verses in chapter 2. We have to understand this. And if we don't, there, we'll face a lot of trouble in, in the world and, and face much compromise and disappointment. Because we'll miss what God means for us to have. He doesn't mean for us to live only knowing and believing, but walking after the world. These two verses in, in Colossians 2 begin the core of the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And, and as such, they're, they're kind of a hinge. Part of this passage looks back at what we've seen before in chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2. And then most of it kind of launches us into what he's going to say as he's moving in to teach them how to walk in a manner that matches what they profess. So that's, that's what we're going to look at this morning. They face particular challenges, which will, will come up in, in coming verses, later weeks. But for all of us here this morning, there's, there's something here about a, that, that commands us and that should help us to keep the command. So if we look at this passage, there are two pieces to it, what looks back and then what looks forward, and that's going to be the two observations that I'm going to make this morning. But first, let me read it. It's a short passage, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul's word in Colossians. To make two observations, it does exactly that you received. Consider who it was exactly that you received. 
Verse 6 begins with a therefore, which alerts us to the fact there's a structure going on in this passage here. What's, what's coming, the larger part, the command, is, is connected. It, it's related to something, something we see here, what it is that we received. And Paul, right here in verse 6, begins to talk about receiving Christ, which we probably, with our modern ears, hear as kind of a shorthand way of talking about becoming a Christian, receiving Christ. So, for better or for worse, receiving Christ becomes sort of interchangeable with trusting Christ or believing in Christ or believing on the Lord Jesus or inviting Jesus into my heart or hoping in Christ. In one way or another, those, those phrases all kind of become interchangeable in our minds and we're thinking about becoming a Christian. And for all those phrases, the emphasis falls in the same way on I received, I trusted, I believed, I repented, what I did. I became a Christian. But Paul's using that language a little bit differently here. He's summarizing, this is the... The first part here is, again, looking back at many things that's already come in this letter, and he's summarizing a line of, of thought we've seen a few times, the idea of a message communicated. So we've seen several times already words like proclaim and make known. Ministers, Epaphras, their local minister, or Paul, or his, his group, he says, we proclaim. that Ministers make something known. They, they announce, they proclaim, they transmit a message. And then listeners, the Colossians in this case, they, we see the words there, they understand, they receive, they receive the message. Which certainly does include becoming Christians, but his emphasis is not on the act of receiving. It's on the message received. It's as if he says, remember, I, Epaphras, we transmitted a message to you. Do you recall? What was it that you received? What, what, did, you, what did you get what did you hear and embrace? Or to be more accurate, who was it you received? Do you recall? And his answer here, you received the Christ, Jesus, the Lord. That's who we make known, him we proclaim, and him you received. And the word the is actually there twice. The Christ, Jesus, the Lord, a name sandwiched between two titles. And the name is important. That it clarifies for us who in all of the creation are we thinking about and talking about. Who is the focus of our trust? We're talking about a particular person. Because the titles, of course, they, they floated out there in history and in the scriptures for a long, 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 long time. Of course, there are titles, but who? Jesus. That one right there, the one born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, son of a carpenter, grew up and became a traveling rabbi, that one is the one we're talking about. That's who we transmitted. That's who we focused your attention on. The, the name identifies the person, but then, that's, of course, it's the titles that tell us who he truly is and why it is that we are to trust him. This Jesus, this one, is the Christ the Lord. We are not talking about, and you have not embraced a Jesus who is less than the long-promised Savior, Deliverer, King, Messiah, or some Jesus who is less than God Almighty, the Lord. In one way or another, this all has already been discussed in chapter 1. If you were here, you may, you may recall it. We're talking about Jesus, who is the Christ, the Lord, who is the one who created and sustains all things, everything created, everything created, made by this one, 
held together by this one's power. Everything grand, if you think of, of the cosmos, everything minuscule, if you think of the subatomic particles, everything made and all held together by this Jesus. And it is all for him. All the creation exists to honor and to display his power and his wisdom and his knowledge and his grace and his omnipotence. The wisdom. And he is before all things. That is, he rules over all of it. And he knows all of it and sees all of it and has all wisdom and all knowledge. He reigns as the Lord everywhere forever. He is the image of the invisible God. He is God Almighty. That's who we talked about. That's who you heard and received. But more than that, here's a mystery. God's planned redemption is accomplished in this omnipotent, exalted, sovereign, supreme one who humbled himself and became a creature. Who thought of this? This mystery theme that we see, we see often in chapter 1, unknown in, into all the past, but now revealed that God Almighty, the Son, became human flesh so as to exercise the redemption that God had promised. See, it's one thing that, that he's the Lord who made it all and rules over it all, but it's all wrecked and redeemed in Jesus. He's the one who not just made it all, but who remakes it all talks there in chapter 1 about how this Jesus is the one who makes peace in all of the world. We talked about some weeks back, you recall, that he makes a world by removing from it sin and death and fallenness in his cross work. He removes that out and he opens a door into a new world that's made fresh and clean and right and pure again. He fixes God's creation and rules over it rightly again. And then puts a people in it as he becomes king and savior to humans fallen in sin, to you. He becomes the king, not just of, of a big creation out there, but he becomes the king of, of us, of, of people. He fixes us, making us new on the inside coming in with, into the inner parts of us. See, his, his Messiah kingship, his rule, is not just out there over the creation, but it actually is in here. The Messiah is within us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus, God Almighty the Lord, moves into people. You. This is a glorious hope. This union with Christ, the King and the Lord. That's who we talked about. That's who you received. This is who the church receives and must consider. So you look at the structure of this verse here. This is just a minor, this is a subordinate clause. We're moving on to something else here, but, but he throws us in on the side. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, he's going to move on to talk about the main point, which is our second observation. But this must be considered. A, a great bit of our problem with this, I, I believe and I know and I understand, but I'm drawn after and I walk over here, is that we haven't actually consistently realized this one is the Lord the Messiah consider him Paul wants us to consider who this one is because when we, we stop and, and think about him we realize that he is not just 
a good teacher. He does not just create good feelings. He does not just give us companionship. He's the ruler, the creator, the sustainer, the savior. And he's the one that God purposed to unite you with, to make you forever This is astounding that the purpose of God in his salvation work was to bring you, Christian, to bring you into union with the Almighty. Not just to leave him enthroned somewhere out there for you to look upon, but to be with. Consider that. It's awesome. This is the one in whom life is found, and if we have him, we have what we need for life. So to stop and to consider the supremacy of this Jesus, the preeminence of this Jesus, the sovereignty of this Jesus, the glory of this Jesus, the transcendent beauty of this Jesus, the omniscience of this Jesus, this Jesus that I have is mine and I am his forever. To consider him, That's who we talked about. That's who you received. Not something less than that. That's astonishing. And that means, if you were to flip that around, there is absolutely no point whatsoever in giving consideration to receiving anything else. The supremacy of this Jesus means the subordination of everything else. The transcendent beauty of this Jesus means the comparative ugliness of everything else. The sweetness means bitterness. The joy means sorrow. Now, certainly the creation is full of many good things, but only many good things in Jesus. When we walk distinct from him, we're walking, we're saying, here is this Jesus who is supreme, who is beautiful, who is wise. I think I'll go into ugly ignorance. Ooh. Really? Why? Because you haven't considered where beauty and wisdom and joy is found. You are with this Jesus forever. He is the Messiah and the Lord, which means that nothing else is and everything else and everyone else is beneath him. That's the first observation, a little piece, a few words, a subordinate clause. But that has to be on our minds. That one has to be on our minds when we come to the next piece, the second observation. We are now to live in consistent communion with this Jesus. Now, where we are now, we are to live in consistent communion with this Jesus. And this really is the focus of this short little section here, this this pivot section. And some people have said, really, this is the point of the whole book. This is simple, clear, and important. So beginning of the verse, Therefore, as you received... The Christ, Jesus the Lord, then, here it is in in very simple language, literally, it's in him walk. As you receive this Jesus, in him walk. And the in him is front-loaded to tie it all together. That one right there, that Jesus we're just thinking about and talking about, walk in him. Very simple. That's the command walk, that is live day by day, moment by moment, you are to walk through life in the Christ, in Jesus, in the Lord. That phrase, in him, we'll see it here a couple times, we've talked about that a number of times over the past number of months. This, remember, this is is the goal of God's redemptive work, is that you would be united with Jesus. And what he's saying is, That's supposed to be what you are, and that's supposed to be what you walk as. Every moment of every day, live that reality, which in one sense 
you're a Christian, you can't not. Because you are a Christian, you are in Christ. And you can't take Tuesday off of being in Christ and be out of Christ and then come back into Christ on Wednesday. That, that doesn't happen. You are, as a Christian, you are in Christ always. So you, so you do always live in Christ in this sense. And he always is in you in the sense. There always is union. And that's a really good thing. Because it means that even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful and does not abandon us or turn away from us. You're, you're never so far out there that God said, I'm done. You walked away, I give up. No, no, there's, there's really good news in that. You always are, he always is with. But, of course, what is the Apostle Paul getting at in giving us this command? course, what he's getting at is that we can, but must not, but may live in denial of what is true of us. That we can live differently than we are, as if not in Christ. Maybe think of it as the difference between two words, relationship and fellowship. You have a parent and a child, say a mother and a son. They are mother and son. Relationship can't change that. But if they have a gigantic fight and don't talk for 30 years, they would be estranged from one another and there would be no fellowship. But 30 years later, they bump into each other in the street. Who's this woman? That's my mother. Still. Relationship is, but of course, 30 years, missing out on all that that relationship is meant to be. All that should be, all that could be. True relationship there, but, but no real fellowship. And of course, that's not what Paul or what God wants for us. He wants relationship and real, true, vibrant, daily, moment-by-moment -moment fellowship. Consistent communion with Jesus. In him, walk. This is the Christian life. This is the call to walk, to live the Christian life. To live with, with the gap closed. Not just talking, but, but walking. And so it's worth stopping for a second to we read and hear this to, to think and examine ourselves, examine our lives and our walks. Maybe you look at the big picture of your regular habits, or maybe you think of particular moments where you, where you have thoughts or, or you daydream about things or you say certain things, and, and ask yourself, examine for just a minute, are there places where I could say, where God would say to me right now, right there, the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, pride of possessions, worldliness, it's grabbing you and pulling you right there. There, friend, son, daughter, God would say to you, there's where you're walking away from me. So repent and turn. It's, it's worth thinking about that and, and giving consideration to it. But, as I say that, something important for us to realize right here. This is, this, is, this is subtle. I hope I can make this clear. It's subtle, but it's important. The Christian life, and I'm, I'm talking about this is a call to walk, to live the Christian life, in him walk. But the Christian life is first and foremost about this Jesus and not, first and foremost, about saying no to the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of possessions. Or saying yes to teachings and ethics. Or saying yes to doctrine, proper theology. In him, walk. Not 
just, not first and foremost, in obedience walk. Now, what, why I say this is very subtle is that, of course, you can't say, I'm going to walk in Jesus and in disobedience. You can't say that. But I'm, I'm talking about order, priority, focus. We can, and sometimes do, accidentally still set aside Jesus and focus only on walking in obedience, looking at the commands, thinking about the ethics and the morals and the doctrines and the teachings and the behaviors. And still, ironically, then in that moment, you're not actually walking in him. You're walking in your own power of obedience. It is first and foremost, the Christian life is first and foremost about walking in him, in consistent communion with this person, Jesus. That's the call. That, that's our need to examine ourselves to see if we are living this Christian life. That is, am I moment by moment communing with this Jesus? This one who is the Messiah and Savior and Lord and Creator, is he on my mind? Ordering my perspectives and desires and fears. Is he on my mind and on my heart, giving hope to my disappointing circumstances? Is he on my mind, not just am I doing the right thing? See the difference, it's subtle. If he's on my mind, I will do the right thing, but that's not the focus. The focus is on him. To walk in consistent communion with him while you're on the way to work, while you're at work, while you're on your way home from work, when you head in the classroom, when you head in the hallway and see friends, to think about Jesus. When I sit down in front of my computer and I log in, not just to think about avoid the websites I'm supposed to avoid, but instead, Jesus. Who are you? You are the Messiah and the Lord. And what is that for me? That is deliverance and that is hope and that is joy, that is wisdom and that is guidance. Then speak, Lord. Sometimes you may find I'm actually not giving him any thought or room to reorder and to speak into this moment. And I'm not giving any consideration to him. To consider him, to soak in who he is, that's the, that's the call, actually, not just to obey his teachings. This is the one you have received, the Messiah and Lord. In him walk. Remember, like air in a balloon. In him walk. So that as you commune with him, everything that he is influences and colors and affects and moves, shapes, governs me in my life, makes me someone different. And then I will walk in the ways that please him. How can you do this? Walk in him. Well, part of it we've seen already, considering Jesus. But another answer to that question pushes us tell us that tells us what this, this walk in Jesus would look like in part, but there's also something really sweet here. If you look at verse seven, and you see the words rooted and built up and established, those words are all passive. They are not what we do. So I ask, how do I do this? And what I immediately find are passives. Not things that I do, but things that God does for me. That God does for you. This, this is what's sweet here, I think, that there's a command that, that God gives. He gives a direct command, walk in him, and then says, and this is what I'll do to help you do that. 
This is what I'll do to help you with it. In him walk, rooted and built up in him. What a benefit there is here. These are very common word pictures in the Bible. They're they're all over the place. The idea of being rooted and the idea of being built are, are very common. Describing God's gracious work. We have been rooted. That's already done in the past. The grammar is clear. Something's already finished. Have been rooted. And then you are being built up. That's a constantly ongoing thing. Grammar's clear there. You've been planted already, planted like a tree by streams of living water. Planted. And then you are like like a house or like a temple. You you can think of the different ways this word's used in the Bible. You are being built up brick by brick and stone by stone. We all are being built up in in size and in in structure and in, in maturity and in strength. We see the images and and we understand what he's getting at, those word pictures. God saved us. God saved you and put you in Christ. He did that, and it's a done deal. And then he has committed himself to building the church, to building you. He's always at work. It is an ongoing process. He's building and building and building. The church as a whole and individual Christians in the church established in the faith. There's the the next phrase. The faith, that is, the gospel. The truth of the mystery of Christ saving you and bringing you into an inheritance that is astounding. Forgiven. This is the faith. Forgiven. Washed clean because of Christ. Brought into communion with him. This is what he did. This is the faith. And he establishes you in that. And this also is an ongoing thing. Regularly establishes you. We can think of it perhaps more like confirming and confirming, to, to establish something, to, to make it certain, to confirm it, and to confirm it, and to drive it home, sunk deeper into the certain assurance. Think of the support pillars of your heart driven down into another foot of bedrock, and driven down into another foot, and into another foot, confirmed, and strengthened, and affirmed, and strengthened, on and on and on and on. As he walks with you, Throughout your life, he's taking you through all the twists and turns and ups and downs, convincing you this is the truth. This is your hope. This is the only beautiful one. This is your life. This is where your future lies. This is what is blessing to you. Confirming that and confirming that and confirming that. That is all the work of God. Passive. God, by His Spirit, working through the events of your life and particularly as He opens up the Word to you, meets you and grows you. He planted you in Jesus and then builds you up and strengthens your assurance of Jesus. So in other words, I say to you, consider Jesus, and then God says, I'm going to plant you in Jesus and build you up in Jesus and strengthen and confirm your faith in Jesus. I'm going to help you consider Jesus. And consider him as the only hope. I'm going to fill you with the truth of the faith and with the beauty of the glory of the person of this Jesus. What is the outcome? What is the goal? Maybe it's obedience. Maybe it's good works. 
Maybe it's more accurate and honoring service to this king. It would be entirely appropriate for Jesus like the one we meet in chapter 1, one that we re-remembered just a few minutes ago, the Messiah and Lord Almighty, it would be entirely appropriate for such an absolute sovereign to work for and to command his subjects to serve and to obey and to work for him. He's the boss of everything. Always. He can command whatever he pleases. So do you usually think of him like that? Like a ruler? And with the word rule, bring along behind that all the negative concepts that get attached to that idea. As one who rules over us, I... I think that this is the dominant idea out there amongst people that's attached to the God of the Bible and that gets attached to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we were to talk about gentle Jesus, meek and mild, compassionate Jesus, the one we meet in the Gospels in many passages where he, he's healing people and caring for people and, and addressing what, what we often call real needs, their illnesses and their sicknesses and their oppressions, that Jesus is entirely attractive to people. But when we start to talk about this Jesus, king and ruler and sovereign God Almighty. Oftentimes humanity begins to get a little uncomfortable with that. And to talk about, I mean, just even hear, hear the phrase even, to kneel in allegiance to that Jesus. That sounds a lot like becoming a slave to a power that in one way or another is going to ruin my life. I'm not so sure about that. Do you think like that? When you hear that term, ruler and king and Lord and God Almighty, sovereign, do you think like that? And I'm talking to the Christians here too. Because often we do. It's, it's a piece of what lies behind this gap. What lies behind our reluctance to, to walk with him is that something in us, and it's been there for a long time, and it is very subtly, very cleverly fed upon by the enemy of our souls. That one, and then a power trip to hurt you. He is. Oh, he says he's a benign and gracious king, but really... His rule is for his own advantage and for your disadvantage. That's been in there for a long time. You can read that in the garden. It's been fed on ever since, and it kind of is, is in us, and we're suspicious of him sometimes. And he says, I'm the king, and we say, oh, I'm not so sure. That's what's behind a lot of this gap, because we, it's, it's what gives temptations a little bit of, of, of leverage in us, a little bit of catch a hook. I, I hear him, I see him, I understand him, and certainly if you, if you were to poke me and ask me, what do you believe? I'd say, I believe he's Jesus, and I believe he's the ruler, I believe he's Lord, he's the Messiah. Yeah, for sure. But then when he says that I'm supposed to spend my money, my life, my time, my relationships, my love, my thoughts this way, and the world offers this, this seems attractive, and I'm not so sure that that's in my best interest. That's what's behind the gap. That's what draws us on. I have some thoughts and some offers and some ideas, and to turn from them and to walk with him, fully devoted to him, and turned 
heart and mind and then body and action towards him might take me away from my own life and my own agenda and what really benefits me. I'm not so sure. And I think that might ruin my life. That's what we think. Well, here's what God thinks. In him walk, and I'll enable it, reading you in him, and then continually building you up in him and establishing you more firmly in the faith towards this end, very last phrase, abounding in thanksgiving. That hardly sounds like enslaved, oppressed, living a ruined life of obligation. When was the last time you were abounding in thanksgiving? That's not passive there. The passives lead up to there, that's not passive. That's us abounding in thanksgiving. And abounding, as you might guess, is an ongoing thing. When was the last time you were abounding in thanksgiving? Overflowing, continually thankful and thanking and overcome with thanks and thankful and giving thanks because you're so thankful. I don't mean when was the last time you said thank you. Or when the last time you, you wrote a batch of thank you cards for a, a number of gifts you'd received. So you said thank you many times. I mean, when was the last time that what was going on inside of you was deep thankfulness? And it didn't stop. It controlled you and welled up and you were abounding and overflowing in thanksgiving because you were thankful. Have you ever been there? When you're there in that moment, the feelings there are delight and joy and release and relief and amazement and hopefulness. To walk through life in an ongoing abounding of thanksgiving, that sounds pretty good to me. That's God's goal for you. That can only be if you walk in Christ. That is not found over here. Walking according to what pulls you towards the world. There is a deception out there that it is found there. It is only found if and as we walk in Christ daily, consistently communing with him who reigns over all, who made all, who came to earth in human form to remove off of you every sense of oppression and misery and loss and to deliver you instead into life everlasting. to make the world at peace, to make it right, and to open the door for you and to welcome you into it, to welcome you into him. In his presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand pleasures forevermore. And he means for us to walk in him, that is to walk abounding in thanksgiving now, day by day, every moment. This is God's goal for you, for your good pleasure. And it is his great glory to deliver it to you by his mysterious provision of the Almighty come as a lamb. This is, this is Jesus. 
What a Savior. So Christian, really, his call to you, his command to you, is walk in joy. It gets twisted and it sounds like walk as a servant. But what he really means is that's a, that's a joyful life. Abounding in thanksgiving, walk with me. With me, with him, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, pleasure forevermore. And gloriously, he has delivered that to you, a sinner, saved by this Jesus according to his plan and power and wisdom and grace. This is who you received. Walk in him. Let's pray. God, would you help us to consider this Jesus? And I really do say, will you help us? You said you would. You said you put us in him and that you would build us up in him and that you would, in an ongoing way, drive us deeper into certainty about him. So please do that. Please keep your word. Help us. And will you lead us then, Lord, into this walk that is in the end, it is indeed a walk of obedience and it is a walk of holiness for our joy. Thank you. Lead us into that. Lead us into life. Build your church and honor your name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.